Welcome to Authority Issues, a podcast about leadership, management, and thinking there has got to be a better way to learn the Greek alphabet. I'm mm. Rachel Perkins, aka Pie or Pie Bob. I'm into words, operations, cheese, and whiskey, and of course, leadership. And I'm Kendall Miller, having that feeling where I'm excited about shit and feeling like I'm doing my job well and empathizing with the right people at the <laughs> right times, but also need a beer. I feel like you've already had a beer. Uh, today on the show, we're going to be talking with Sean <laughs> O'Connor, Director of Engineering at Datadog. <laughs> Sean. Welcome, Sean. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to our Madcap Adventures. <clears throat> so we're glad you're here. And before we, we dive into our first question, I do just want to give a little bit of background. Mm-hmm. So we actually owe uh, the genesis of authority issues to Sean, who... Yep. Um, many years ago, many, many moons ago, because we are now at episode 70-something, 7-ish. This will be 77, and, uh, yeah. 70, well, assuming we ship them in order, Rachel, which, like, come <laughs> on, let's assume... <laughs> Uh, Wait, that feels like assuming a lot. Well, Details. <laughs> so, so many years ago, Sean started a podcast in the Rand's Leadership Slack, specifically hire, highlighting people there. Uh, it kind of had some fits and starts, and he said, hey, I don't actually have the capacity to do this. I think you were in the middle of changing jobs over to Datadog at the time. Am I right about that, Sean? Uh, maybe, maybe not. That might have actually... That probably would have been Bitly. Probably would have been earlier. You were Bitly, changing jobs, though. Been... Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so, well, I was changing jobs. But even so, earlier. Yeah. Well, there was yeah. there was life. And let's just be honest. When you're an life adult, happened. life comes at Suddenly you. Suddenly, I had less time than to stop. I assumed. Mm. <laughs> That's right. So, so we talked with Sean about taking over what he had started. We decided to kind of start something a little bit separate, partly because we were taking on sponsors, at least initially. And anyways, here we are today. Sean <laughs> gave us. Uh, I know. Look how that went. And Sean gave us a lot of the tools, a lot of the advice, and a lot of the bits for how we got here. That's a reference to the fact that Sean worked at Bitly. It's funny. You should laugh. Wow. Anyways, we'll get to all that. But uh, yeah. Thank you for being here, Sean. We're thankful for how you helped us get started because I'm not sure it would have happened had that turn of events not happened the way it did. No, but- thank you for, for having me. I'm glad it it, it has uh, turned into <laughs> to something much more uh, substantial than what I ever actually it's- produced out of that. So. It's been <laughs> take fun, it. too. Yeah, yeah, well, we're having fun. Yeah. We're still doing it, and it's been a while. So let's nice. dive in. Tell us, Sean, about your path to leadership, management, and being... Director of Engineering at Datadog. Like, where did you start? How did you get here? Start wherever you'd like. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, where to start? I guess a bit of the beginning. Uh, so, I've kind of always been on the the relatively straight, like, computer science, software-y track. Like, got to take some well, CS classes wait, in before, high school. This is, I, I know this is right <laughs> at the beginning. But, like, yeah. I actually think you are our very first guest that has said that like i've always been on this path yeah. so everyone it, else it, says <laughs> my path is weird I, I, so yeah, your path no. is actually weird yeah uh, yeah that is a, definitely a thing and it's something that's funny in that like i actually for somebody who took such a i don't know traditional path through a lot of this uh i'm, I'm usually the one advocating for people from non-traditional backgrounds <laughs> and paths but um oh not not don't uh, do this that's not what you're saying (laughs) well i'd say do what works for you and like i was lucky in that 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 happened to be what worked out for me but um yeah but yeah so um you know kind of took the traditional path of of cs in college 
you're in college, I got an internship at this tiny, uh, like consulting shop. It was like three people in Poughkeepsie, uh, New York. Uh, I went to Marist and they, uh, we're doing like a mix of like, uh, development consulting work for, for various clients, mostly kind of local small businesses. Uh, but they also kind of in their, I don't know, spare time we're, we're doing their own collection of startup type stuff. Um, so kind of got a really good mix of both experience, uh, doing like consulting flavor, con- uh, software development and startup world stuff in that. Um, you know, mm-hmm. as will happen in a really small shop, you kind of wear all the hats. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, as effectively, like, I don't know, let's ca- call it a senior intern, if you will. Uh, Did they you let know, you was... customers? Oh yeah. No, I was on customer ah. calls. I was doing project management. I was running code. It was that's was a lot for an everything. intern. What a great shot. What a great job. Yeah. So it was, it was a great opportunity and, you know, I had some good stuff there, worked there for a bit after college. Um, but was, was generally kind of looking to, to move down into to New York city. Um, and was looking to kind of change situation. Like it was good, but you know, we had some maybe rough projects that left a bad taste and you know, that'll happen. Um, so I ended up in working consulting, in... you had some rough projects. <laughs> I am yeah. shocked. shocked a death march you. in consulting. I don't know. That sounds, yeah, really weird. that sounds really <laughs> far-fetched. far-fetched. So keep going. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, had that, um, ended up going out of a place called, uh, huge, uh, at the time the name was a little ironic in that it was a relatively small, uh, agency, but they were acquired by IPG and it quickly became a literal name. <laughs> um, That's actually pretty funny. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, got to uh, work in a much larger environment there, right? So working on, pro- you know, probably at that time, the company was probably, I don't know, maybe 600 people. Uh, actually, no, it was less than that then. Maybe 300 people. Um, you know, so got to work on some bigger teams, got to get some experience uh, uh, guiding and mentoring uh, kind of more junior folks. Um, uh, how did that happen? How did you get into that part? The guiding and mentoring? Did someone just uh, go here? Here's your own intern. Like how did yeah, this work? It was a lot of just, uh, so huge at that time was an interesting place in that, uh, they historically basically sold product. Like they, they historically were a design shop and were kind of expanding into software engineering. So you know, they, they, they classically would like, you know, work with, uh, you know, Ikea or JetBlue or somebody like, like that who wanted to do a big redesign of their website or brand or whatever. And they'd have some really beautiful uh, PDFs of, of what the website could look like. Don't worry about where that search bar leads. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. uh, type stuff. And, and uh, you know, from a strategic standpoint, we're kind of just coming from the space of like, well, we see you have some extra budget over there. We could take care of that and build this for you. <laughs> Um, and they were also trying to, I think, make an effort to do a bit of a, they were, they were trying to do it well, but at the end of the day, like the dynamics in that world don't lend themselves to healthy software development. But right? you, so like, you said you were, you were working with, you were mentoring and, and, uh, and like kind of guiding new people. Yeah. How did that, did, did you just get assigned that or did you choose to do that or how did it come uh, to be? So, so kind of given all that stuff, it was a pretty mm, chaotic environment and a lot of just kind of throwing bodies at problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, I generally tend to be somebody who like, 
does not actively seek out leadership positions like because I need to be in control, but I also have very little patience for like people standing around looking at each other, not deciding what to do. <laughs> oh, I hate that. And then you get saddled <laughs> with whatever. You're like, oh, I wish I hadn't said anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so I tend to kind of de facto into like either formal or formal uh, leadership positions uh, just because I'm the one willing to kind of take the step and go like, hey, all right, we clarify figure something out. These are the options. Let's go and kind of run with that. Um, so it was generally, it was, it was informal. Uh, it wasn't any kind of like management role. Um, okay. but you know, just at, it, it, based on kind of like the, the, you know, having a bit more experience with some of the stuff than, than folks did, maybe having a bit more existing, uh, experience kind of interacting with, with clients and, and kind of working through some of that, uh, was doing stuff there. Um, I guess related to the leadership story, this is also where, while I was a huge, I also, um, helped start, uh, Django NYC as a meetup and, um, was helping organizing, uh, the first few Django cons, uh, for Python web development framework. That was, I don't know, up and coming at the time. <laughs> was? Oh, okay. Okay. I thought you were going to say was like... relevant, but it was up and coming. <laughs> I can go with, uh, I mean, Django's, there's a lot of people still using Django. Yeah, so anyways, absolutely. Yep. No. Um, and so that was like a bit of a different, you know, kind of flavor of the, the leadership side of stuff, right? Like community organizing is definitely, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's all people, but, <laughs> yeah. um, um, I'd say that was probably a good place where, where I started also kind of getting some experience around like uh, delegation and figuring out how to not have everything on my plate because, uh, you know, <laughs> as I, and I'm sure you all are familiar, right? Like doing something like running a, a large meetup or, or a conference or something like that, if you try and take it all on yourself that's not going to end well. <laughs> well, 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 yeah. well, yes, absolutely. Those things absolutely crush people, but say, uh -huh. say more about that. Like what is learning to delegate in that kind of environment look like? Because a lot of people learn to delegate when they're like, Sean, you're the best uh, writer of the code. Please help these eight people write the code. Right. And, mm -hmm. and so it's different in a meetup environment where like, you're not their boss. Literally they can opt out by just stopping coming mm -hmm. and like, so, so what does it look like to learn to, to delegate in that environment? Is it just like, hey, man, can you show up early and help put some things out and people are excited to volunteer or was there more to it? Um, I mean, the actual like getting people to do stuff definitely kind of fell into that category of, of making needs known and, and trying to put enough structure in place to make it easy for somebody to pick it up without having to like have a huge undefined commitment. Um, sure. but I mean, I think a lot of the learning piece for me was also just like, I am not somebody who naturally is good at asking for help. <laughs> um, yeah. so, uh, you so know, how did you to... wrestle with that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was some places where it was just, you know, making the call, you know, just, just in time for breaking points or, or like important things slipping. You're like, okay, if I have all this on my plate, this is not going to work. I have to figure out another path. Um, so I'm not saying it's a great way to learn. <laughs> it was a for me. Somehow. It was, yeah. it was a way to learn. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, okay. Mm -hmm. 
but you know, certainly was was some valuable experience, and I think also was something that I think uh, I am glad I took on at an earlier and younger point in my career. <laughs> yeah, because you don't um, want to do it now, or what do you mean? Uh I mean, I guess kind of two sides. One side is just yeah, the sheer amount of like time and energy. I'm I'm not sure I could actually stick through it as well now. Uh, well, especially having... for so little reward, like literally no yeah. financial reward, probably. Uh, yeah. Not directly, although like uh, on the flip side, like the other place where it was kind of good having that be relatively early in my career is like, you know, a lot of those, uh, having a lot of those lessons learned earlier in the career was definitely beneficial. Like I mm -hmm. think that, that set me up for success later in a lot of ways. Yeah, and yeah. I was also in a place where like, while I didn't get a lot of financial gain directly out of it, I did do a lot of network building, which was very useful and, and is, I think, something you, you have a lot more, I don't know, maybe not urgent, but like it definitely is something you have a lot more need for, I think, earlier in your career, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it definitely has. It, it, you'll get more value over time if you start earlier. Yeah. <laughs> it stacks up. So, right? yeah. Well, yeah. So keep, so keep going from there. So you're, you're arranging this meetup, you're, uh, I mean, connecting all the Django folks when everybody else is trying to do Rails, Sean. So you're kind of going a little bit against the the grain there. I mean, say, and then, you know, what's yeah. next? Yeah. So uh, as will happen in agency land uh, after probably a year and a half, two years, kind of burned out on that adventure. Um, and yep. actually the guy who hired me at Huge uh, had left to go do his own startup. Um, basically doing what you would now call, I guess, like marketing automation, right? Like a lot of like, you know, kind of defining a set of your customers based on, you know, like, okay, for everybody who's viewed this article, let's send them this promotion that's kind of relevant to that or, or things like that, right? Gotcha. Um, yep. So building something like that for SMBs, a lot of the tools at that in that space at that time were, were very kind of like enterprise focused type stuff. Um, and so I basically, uh, yeah, left left you to, to kind of join that. Uh, ultimately, I guess is like a, I don't know, let's say late, late stage partner, so maybe not full co-founder, but uh -huh. you know, kind of significant owner in it. Uh, and that was, you know, uh, another kind of interesting exercise in, in learning through how to not do things the right way. <laughs> oh, do tell. I need yeah. to hear about um, this. It was a lot of, I mean, A, just like, you know, me and my two, uh, two three business partners, uh, had actually done like our own startup from zero before, right? We had all been involved in startups, but we were not the ones like kind of running the show. Mm -hmm. um, and at the time this was all bootstrapped also. So for better or worse, we were playing with our own money. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we were kind of paying the bills by doing kind of consulting stuff on the side, <laughs> um, which, uh, and so like there, there were a few things that kind of came out that in hindsight were, <laughs> Should, should have been obvious, but you know, that's, that's how hindsight works. Uh, one was, uh, you know, while it felt fine in the moment, like bootstrapping via consulting probably wasn't actually a super great path. Uh, at the time, you know, it was good that like all your time consulting instead of right. Yeah. Well, well, consulting and in particular, like at that scale of consulting, you're you're basically spending half your time finding new work, half your time doing work for existing clients, and then half your time building the product. And if you can do math, you can find the problem. 
we're engineers we can do uh, math yeah yeah mm. yeah so there was some of that um so you know as that kind of became the consequences of that you know started to manifest um it also kind of clear that uh myself and, and one of my my co-founders uh oops, sorry there were three of us who were like kind of doing this full time uh, myself and one of them kind of wanted to go down the the VC route and just commit full time to the the product side. Uh, the other was much more interested in kind of continuing the consulting thing and having the the product side be more of a a supplement to the um, I guess consulting work. Yeah, yeah, and like I guess he had some of the the vision of like effectively having the product, like having a. a trying to think of businesses that do this, right? Like where there, there's some businesses where they'll have some of their own software, but like it's something that like needs to be like pretty highly configured for each customer and whatnot. So like your consultant- So professional services, software. yeah. Yeah. You're talking about Salesforce. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not helping. Keep going. Maybe. So, okay, so, I mean, it worked out pretty okay to... for Salesforce, but- <laughs> well, <laughs> It took a while. So you're it butting heads a, a little bit because there's, yeah. there's some so, differences yeah, just we, on where it should yeah, we had a different place we want to go. Um, there's also a place where I think I really solidified on like definitely wanting to move, however it ended up happening, wanting to move towards uh, kind of product focused companies as opposed to consulting work. And then I think I've, I finally crystallized for myself at that point that the, the lack of ownership that exists in consulting, it was mm -hmm. not for me. <laughs> yeah. Right. You Just need to like, feel more commitment. Yeah more commitment and, and just like both have more stake and more say in like the long-term consequences of, of the work. Um, but anyway, so uh, that ended up and, you know, we, we ended up kind of going our separate ways. We kind of tried to go down the VC path for a bit, but ended up failed at fundraising because we made some other mistakes there that aren't particularly relevant to leadership. <laughs> but um so that eventually kind of got to a place where like, okay, so, you know, a salary and health insurance sounds real attractive. Uh, this was also pre-ACA. Uh, That's when you're getting Cobra. old. A salary and health insurance. I'm sorry. Keep, yeah. Keep, keep, keep going. Yeah. No, this was also pre-ACA yep. and I, I was on Cobra and that was running out. Uh, so like your options for yep. private health insurance at that point were not amazing. Yeah. Good. <laughs> Thank yeah. goodness for the ACA now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... Uh, that's when I kind of started, you know, looking around for, you know, kind of talked to my partner. He was kind of, I guess, at, at a similar place where, yeah, it was either we go back to consulting, build like an actual agency that's big enough to like have enough side revenue to do this as a, as a project or just shut it down and go do other things. And neither of us had the appetite to actually build an agency. So, um, so at that point I kind of went on a job search, um, did some kind of solo consulting for a bit just to kind of keep, you know, money coming in. Um, and, uh, ended up, this is when I ended up joining Bitly. Um, so I joined there as a, a software engineer, just as an IC, uh, to start. And How big was actually, Bitly at the time? Uh, it's probably like, I don't know, 35, maybe 40 people. Um, okay. it was right when they uh were moving out of the betaworks office into their own office um, yeah um like i remember i was the i was having the initial call with the guy who hired me as he was at the new office receiving their desks <laughs> gotcha very startup okay. kind of thing <laughs> uh, yeah uh 
fun tangent related to timing there also uh i actually sent my offer acceptance the morning before sandy hit uh for that so the email is basically like hey here's my side of the paperwork totally understand if you need some time to turn that around <laughs> dang oh um, wow. yeah and then and then admittedly you moved from right software engineer up into engineering manager talk, talk about that story yeah so there um so when I joined Bitly, Bitly was still in this kind of weird place. So, so I don't know I'm familiar with Betaworks, but Betaworks was, is, I think it's still around, um, this like hybrid VC fund startup incubator thing in New York, um, where they would, like part of their portfolio was companies uh, that they would uh, kind of start in-house, right? They just hired a bunch of kind of like software engineers and designers and whatnot and like um, people like John Barthwork, the, the kind of founder there and, and some other folks would kind of have ideas for things that could be neat and they'd try it out and some of them would get traction and others wouldn't. So Bitly kind of came out of that environment and it left, it, it turns out it ended up producing a lot of products that, uh, would have like, you know, a great customer base, probably some kind of interesting data angle, but weren't necessarily businesses and that they didn't necessarily mm-hmm. have an obvious revenue stream. Right. There's no <laughs> um, real business plan. <laughs> Yeah. And it's one of those things where like, you know, Bitly in particular at that time, um, very much was in this place of like, okay, we have all these users, we have all this click traffic, um, we have this, all this interesting data. Presumably there's a business in here somewhere, right? Like there was obviously a lot of value to be had, but there was a million different directions you could go in. So at the, the time that I joined, it was still very much in this kind of like throw a bunch of things against the wall and see what stuck uh, kind of thing. So there was a lot of kind of just really different projects going on. Um, about a year after I joined, I think the board was kind of getting tired of that. <laughs> um, uh, so they were really pushing to kind of like pick a direction and go with it. Um, that led to some disagreements with the leadership that was there at the time. So basically everybody above me uh, left. <laughs> Granted, at the oh, size I of the company, it was like my boss and the CEO, right? Like there was one guy managing the whole engineering team. So you were um, aspirated up a level by uh, vacuum? Um, what what so happened? A little bit. So so in that year, again, like I had kind of naturally been doing some mentorship type stuff, um, had been coaching some folks. I'd been working, like at that time, there was a big data science team. Like I was working with like Hillary Mason and, and kind of that crew at that time. Um, so I was like working with and coaching some of them on like, you know, how to go from like their kind of prototypes into like what an actual production system would look like and like, you know, have the conversations about, you know, we're, we're not Google, we can't afford to keep the whole internet in memory. What's some other ways we could solve this problem? <laughs> I was told. Okay. Um, you know, it was good. It was good. Like, you know, it turns out a lot of uh, data scientists are recovering physicists. Um, so they have an appreciation for, you know, trade-offs and, and uh, you know, <clears throat> <Yeah>. constraints. <laughs> cannot do Um, your big physics experiment (laughs) you will blow up the earth yeah (laughs) yeah um so you know i've been doing a lot of that kind of stuff um and had did some work and had some pretty good credibility on the team um so kind of given this vacuum you know i was given the opportunity to to move into basically a team lead for like a portion of the back-end engineering team um and like i did appreciate that like it was genuinely like an offer an opportunity like i could have said no and like they would have figured something else out i wasn't like forced into mm-hmm. the role uh mm-hmm. it wasn't like hey surprise you're the manager now 
Okay. Um, That's good. Which is something I've always. Wait, you're the boss. You're the man. It's been a long time. You're the man now, dog. Okay, there we go. There you go. Yep. Keep going. Um, Yeah, like that. That's always something I I kind of. As far as I've seen, and as much as I always advise people, like if if you're put in a management role and it wasn't a choice on your part, that's that's probably a red flag. You should consider what's going on. So did you, so when you were making, they came to you and they were like, okay, mm-hmm. so here's the situation. Yep. Would you like to be a people leader? Mm-hmm. Uh, what was your process? Did you, were yeah. you like, let me think about it for a minute. Yes. Or did you have to take a while and decide? Like what, were your, um, what was, was your thought was process here? Pretty quick on saying yes. Um, okay. I think I had generally in my career kind of been heading, I was kind of on that path. Um mm-hmm. It wasn't like I had like an urgent need to become a manager, but I've generally kind of enjoyed the like leadership track. I think generally like the philosophy of management management as much as it was there at the time, um, I think was in the vein of management that, that like I prefer to practice and much more of like a, a, a kind of supportive kind of role as opposed to like mm-hmm. a you're doing this kind of, you know, top down type thing. Um, so all that kind of aligned pretty well. And, you know, it was also, I think, a, a good environment in that, like, at that point, I had enough context on, like, what was going on where, like, mm-hmm. um, I still was was pretty, you know, I, I could, I had enough detail and context where, like, uh, I didn't have to worry so much about getting up to speed on, like, the technical and, like, bitly specific bits and could focus on figuring out the management parts as opposed to, like, mm-hmm. just starting something completely new as a manager and then also figuring out all the technical and company specific bits. That always <laughs> seems super rough to me, like coming into an org and immediately being the boss and having to know stuff and be like, well, yeah. it, it takes a long time. And so yeah. you're, this was your first like official management role, right? Yep. Uh, did they, I always ask this, did they give you any training? Did oh, you no. No, no, no. read any books? <laughs> did you do this on your own? Uh, like- I did. I did on my own. Um, so I both, kind of reached out. So there, I guess there were a few pieces there. Like I, I definitely, you know, read uh, a bunch of books. Uh, I guess obviously kind of given our, our uh, origin story for the podcast as a good portion uh-huh. that included Rand's, um, you know, read a few other books. I don't think Neil's book had been out yet then. But, you know, read, read a few books either just generally about management or uh, about about specifically managing engineers, um, you know, listen to, I think, a, yeah. a few podcasts that were out at the time, um, but also kind of reached out to, to some friends or former managers and, and kind of, you know, sought, sought some advice and, and mentorship there, which was, was definitely helpful. Um, and it also was helpful in that, like, you know, I was starting out with a relatively small team. I think I initially had probably like four reports, I think. So it was, you know, enough size. where... You know, I was I, I was very meaningfully like full time managing, but not like surprise. You have thirty people reporting to you. Figure that mm-hmm. out. <laughs> so you said you got some um, some you know you got some mentorship yourself from from folks who you respect. Mm-hmm. What was the the best or the worst advice you got from them, or from um, the books you read or anything? I don't know. I honestly can't think of any like uh, immediately bad advice there, but I also <laughs> probably just filtered out the obviously bad stuff and just don't remember it real well. <laughs> uh, okay. Always good to filter it out. Yep. But uh, <laughs> the probably a lot of the best advice was, was around like the importance of listening and like mm-hmm. shutting up and letting people talk. 
<laughs> right? Like it, it I think that's not why we started a podcast, John. <laughs> I'm sorry. sorry. It's different, different goal, different Interrupt. purpose. If you guys aren't talking, then like uh, this gets this gets a little awkward for an audio medium. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's somebody who would listen to an awkward silence podcast, but you know that's. <laughs> I like this ASMR idea. ASMR for people who really don't like noises. Something yep, for April first. There you go. Um, but they, uh, but you know, like I think, especially for people transitioning from engineering into leadership roles, right? Like you generally are going to come from a, a, a place of, of wanting to be a problem solver and, and like wanting to fix challenges or, or issues that are presented to you. And, and like as a manager, like, yeah, certainly that's some of the job, but usually in the moment of a conversation, uh, A, you're probably not going to be able to fix it. And B, if you're not listening and letting somebody kind of get everything out, A, they're going to get frustrated, but B, you're probably not going to actually know what needs fixing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Makes um, sense. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, again, it's one of those things where, like, in hindsight and in abstract, that makes perfect sense. But, like, in the mm-hmm. moment, it is much easier, uh, I think, said than done for, for a lot of us. Yeah, um, especially when you're the kind of person, as I am, who wants who doesn't who doesn't like to see things sitting there undone or people yeah. standing around. You want to you want to solve problems. And so that you, you sound like you might be action oriented. Yeah. And that it's hard to sit there and listen, even though that's the best path. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, and, and like in that, you know, I, I think part of that for me became like internalizing, like uh, that listening is action to it in that context. Right. And, but, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, totally. Yeah. Sounds like bullshit marketing speak to me. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, well, so I want to have a book about it. That's when. <laughs> that's right. So, so I want to go a little bit faster because we got a bunch yep. more questions I want to ask you, but I also yep, yep. want to hear about Datadog. Do so you move yeah. from Bitly to Datadog? You t- did you go in as a manager or as a director? Uh, director. So I guess probably fast forward through the rest of Bitly. So I was at Bitly for like five years, five and a half. Um, in that time, kind of expanded to manage most of the backend engineering team, took over the ops team, uh, DevOps team for a while as well. So kind of had some experience running multiple teams uh, in that yep. way. Um, but yeah, I kind of got to a place there where, um, you know, been someplace for five years, uh, that you start having a lot of the same conversations and maybe get a little, a little tired of that. And, you know, Bitly was in a place where things were doing okay, but there wasn't a lot of growth, which, um, you know, again, kind of leads to some frustrating situations. Um, so yeah, I went on a job search, um, ended up at Datadog, um, you know, had some 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 friends who were there already that had really good things to say. Definitely already definitely checked the growth box. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also kind of, you know, I want to stay around kind of like scale high availability problems. And, and that was kind of like, I think, one of the main opportunities for that in New York at the time. I was still in New York. Um, uh, that wasn't, you know, your Google or your Facebook mega code type mm-hmm. of situations that I, I wasn't super interested in. Um, well, and you're interested in developing a product that was actually meaningful to human society instead of, I'm sorry, not that I have an opinion about this. Keep going. Uh, details. There are probably people who work <laughs> at Google and Facebook who listen to this, and I would like to personally mm-hmm. apologize to all of you and offer you a job at Datadog working the show. Go ahead. <laughs> there They're you go. They just taken some authority. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, we are hiring, but... Uh... 
<laughs> but yeah, so no, I did I did come in as a director um, at Datadog. At that time, so so uh, for context, like I joined Datadog April 2018. The company was around 600 people then. Uh, we're several thousand now. I don't know how much they want me saying exact numbers there. Um, actually, no, we just uh, did a public announcement. Uh, so we just crossed 3,000 people. Um, so, oh. you know. Uh, and that growth rate's basically been constant. So a side effect that comes out of that is in the time that it takes you as an organization to like recognize that you have a problem or like need to change or update some process, figure out what the new version is and implement it, you probably already have the next problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of those tends to be um, kind of leveling and like uh, kind of career path tiling type stuff. Um, so the time I came in, it was basically just straight kind of like software engineer, team lead, director, VP, I guess. And that, that was the whole kind of management track there. Uh, we've since kind of introduced more levels. Honestly, if I, if I were to come into Datadog now where I was then, I probably would have come in as an engineering manager. Uh, mm -hmm. But that wasn't entitlement, yeah. so it worked. Well, you don't join a startup <laughs> so that you don't have massive career progression. Yeah. yeah. You know. And um, I mean, what are the... Well, finish that thought, but like, what are the kinds of things that are driving you nuts about, about leading in a big publicly traded company? Cause it's different than a bitly or an agency that even if it's huge, but um, tisk and you know, like what are the kinds of or things you're you run on into? fire, man. You're oh, on no, fire. That was totally a thing there. Like we would, people would walk in for interviews at huge and we would just tell them up front, like, look, puns are going to happen. It's fine. Just get out of your system and don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah. So, you know, so, so Datadog, I, I came in uh, and was first kind of running the the APM kind of like uh, I don't know, like application side of the team. Right there, you have like a bunch of client libraries, and then you have everything happening on our servers slash the web browser, right? Um, and so I was kind of running that team for for the first year, and there it was actually relatively I don't know a, a relatively comfortable shift in that um, within Datadog, we we give a lot of kind of discretion and authority to teams and subgroups to kind of do things their own way. So, and especially at that time, like APM was effectively running as a bit of a startup within the larger company. Um, and the team probably was about, uh, yeah, probably around like 30, 40 people at that time. Um, so in a lot of ways it, it, you know, felt kind of familiar in that, like it was a similar kind mm -hmm. of scale of, of, of problems from a, a management standpoint. Um, it, the big thing that was new, uh, hurdle initially was about half the team was based in Paris. Uh, oh, wow. So, you know, I had certainly collaborated with people remotely before, but like doing direct people management uh, over with a big time with, difference. With a, mm -hmm. Yeah. Six hour time difference was, was definitely a new, new thing there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then from there, you know, also at that time we were still private. Uh, we weren't public yet. And like, I think we were still maybe a bit in a, and a bit more of an up and comer underdog position in the market. Um, and yeah, there are ways that's, that's changed. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's, I don't know. It's, 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 I have a, I guess I have a hard time separating out like what's the big company, public company challenges from just like, this is just a different set of challenges and environments and whatnot. Yeah. Um, and scale. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, is there anything that's driving you crazy right now? Uh, I don't know about driving me crazy, but definitely kind of like the, the maybe the, the, the trickiest thing to juggle is right now for me is 
you know, kind of like the, the timing around like, so that growth thing by and large is, is makes a lot of problems go away, right? Like it's no, like you have to wait for somebody you know, to retire, to like move up in the org or something like that, right? There's opportunities right. everywhere. There's lots of resources for, for everything. Um, so that's overall really nice. It does mean though, that like you run into some real interesting timing games in terms of like where people are career progression wise versus like where um, you have needs in the org as it grows, right? Like, so like, you know, right now I'm, I'm in the process of kind of like defining what um, some new like engineering manager roles within my team would look like. And like part of that math is like, okay, so like there's a few folks who are like on that track, but probably mm-hmm. won't be ready for that role by the time we need this specific role. And like by and large, that's fine because something like, we can kind of take the leap of faith that like there'll be something else by the time they are ready. Um, but it does make some interesting. That is super interesting. I, I've not really heard. <laughs> I've never really seen that sort of thing happen at a company where they're thinking about the people who are already there rather than just like, you have a headcount, fucking fill it as soon as possible. Uh, yeah. Is, I mean, it's, it's you it's feel like that's different. Yeah. Uh, to a degree. Like I think it's maybe an artifact. So data dog takes a very, I don't know, bottom up or organic approach to organizational structure. Um, like there's never been any like top down, like here's the new org chart, uh, go find your new desk and your new boss kind of day. Right. Like it's very much, um, kind of lots of local, like, okay, this team's too big. Let's figure out a split. And it's kind of up to the team to figure out what that looks like. Or, you know, maybe in my case, like, you know, at like a director level with, you know, five or six teams trying to figure out like, okay, this maybe, you know, some, some context has changed or with growth. Okay. We need to figure out how we need to shift ourselves. Or even recently we've made some, some higher level changes of like, we've, we previously, the engineering org kind of just, uh, all the VPs just reported up to Alexi, the CTO. We've since introduced like three top level orgs with SVPs and, and kind of shifted that out. But even with that, they kind of just made that initial top level change and then gave time for all the the kind of downstream effects to kind of get worked out locally as it makes sense. Um, so I think kind of Seems given very that, trusting. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, I mean, a lot of what I like there is, is there, there's a very strong culture of ownership, right. And, and that kind of being a two way street, right. Both in terms of like the company gives a lot of latitude for folks to, to kind of, uh, make decisions and, and kind of figure out what works for them within their context. Um, but it also means that they expect you to like, you know, keep the ship afloat, right? Keep shit, <laughs> yeah, get shit done. Yeah. So this, so that, that, what I was just bring, sort of mentioning about, you know, that, that seems very trusting. That seems like uh, a light touch in terms mm-hmm. of your leadership, just, you know, letting you as a, as a, a subgroup of the company decide how to organize yourselves that seems like a really interesting approach to authority. And I mean, it seems might be different from what, you know, most people have experienced, which is like, we're having a reorg and now you report to X, you know, mm-hmm. uh, what, what is your relationship with authority? Like, like, how do you feel about that sort of authority versus other kinds of authority and, and having it over other people now that you're, you know, a director, as you said earlier, sure. when we before the recording, you're a director, you're a director, not the director, but still, yes. Yeah, sounds like you've got a large team. How do you feel about having authority over all those people? What's your approach to that? And how do you feel about your leadership having authority over you? Yeah, um, 
I definitely prefer, and I guess somewhat obviously have selected for uh, environments where where that is, that the authority is in service of a larger goal and from a place of kind of empathy and support, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like the, I'm certainly like given direction and um, setting priorities for folks in my team, but it's, for, but it's to an end of, giving the context, giving them the context they need and the focus they need to do good work, right? Like not just because I told them so, right? <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and, and so, you know, that that kind of goes kind of all the way from top to bottom within, within Datadog. And, and I think you probably do need, kind of related to the, your, your, your trust observation, like, I think it to have an approach like that work well at that scale, like it does have to be pretty universal, right? Like, because if you have like a high trust group operating alongside like a, a group playing like land grabby political games, like that never ends well, right? Yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, someone's I, getting taken advantage of. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's just one of those things where like, you know, tr- trust has to be a two way street, right? And presumably at some point, those, those, those groups need to interact and if that trust isn't being upheld both ways then like that's just not going to work right Um, and to be clear like you know i think there certainly could be arguments that like you know a more top down or or maybe a more self-interest driven uh or i don't know maybe immediately self-interest. I'm having a hard time to describe like, you know, like, like a more, I don't know, let's say aggressive or, or kind of low trust environment. Like there are models where that can work and there's arguably some benefits to that approach. I personally don't enjoy working in that way. <laughs> and of course I've, you know, kind of tried yeah, to find places for, where that's a thing. Um, for some value of quote work. I mean, we've, we've got <laughs> some very large companies that infamously operate that way and how, how effective actually are they? Anyways, keep talking. Yeah. But I mean, it also means that like, you know, there is a certain amount that like this kind of approach does make hire like it makes hiring uh you know hiring is always a high stakes exercise mm-hmm. it makes it even more high stakes for us right like in that like if you bring somebody toxic into this high trust environment like that has massive impacts um, yeah yeah and so they have to understand what's expected of them they have to understand what's, what's expected of them and be comfortable working in this kind of environment. And like another kind of side effect of this, that, that is, is definitely striking for folks when they join um, and was for me. And, and, you know, something where some people are comfortable and some people aren't is like, it does lead to a more chaotic environment, at least from a superficial standpoint, right? Like there's a lot of ways yeah. in which we, we work that like, I think somebody coming in from the outside and, 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 and just looking at it, uh, from a high level, will be like this. This seems crazy. How does this work? <laughs> does anybody know what they're supposed to be doing? Yeah. Yeah, or or just yeah. like you know the the you know like as a specific example, like t- teams are given pretty wide latitude to use whatever you know project management process and, and approach they want to do accordingly. You see a pretty wide spread of that across the company, and there is no uniform like uh, project management across everything. Um, so yeah, I mean, it does mean that like, yeah, things can look really messy and like, there is some cost to that on the flip side. It means that like a lot of the inter-team communication and coordination is focused on kind of like the parts that need to happen there. And it's maybe a bit more explicit than it might be if you could Mm -hmm. just kind of count on some 
global project yeah. management process like glue, work. glue work is yeah. more complex that's yeah. cool well okay so for time's sake though sean we got to shift away yeah there's lots more questions to follow up here but but talk about your personal life outside of datadog what uh what keeps you busy when you're not at work sure yeah uh so i moved to colorado a year and change ago uh, okay. yeah okay. <laughs> um so the whole adventure of like moving and getting settled in a new place and the joys of home ownership <laughs> mm -hmm. has been a, a pretty good thank you i'm um, not saying woot woot for that one yeah keep going. <laughs> um okay. have been a pretty big chunk of my my not work time uh lately um i, for, I for see you ones. have a 3d is that a 3d printer behind it you? is that recently made it out of the box so oh. that's progress but it's not uh functioning it's, it's gone through like two yet. or three moves since i last used it so it definitely <laughs> needs some tlc before it can do anything useful uh, but uh, it's made okay. it out of the box in the garage to the the, the table here you have so intent there's intent to produce <laughs> to seize the means uh, of production but yeah, so when, it when it's film. less, you know, uh, moving and, and, you know, getting getting a house going kind of stuff, a lot of kind of DIY, you know, build makery type stuff. Um, at some point, I hope to have a, a woodworking shop again and be able to do that kind of thing again. But, uh, cool. you know, that plus yeah. house stuff is a bit much of my, right now. <laughs> uh huh. So, Sean, if other people want to find you, where can they hear more about Sean O'Connor? Sure. On the, on the internet. There you go. Uh, I have a personal website, SeanOC.com uh s-e-a-n-o-c uh as you might have guessed my name is irish uh what <laughs> it's really subtle um but yeah so shonoc.com is probably the, the the best place to to look uh okay. and find all Put the all the, the other notes. links <laughs> cool yeah well thank you well, so, much, so for much for joining, joining us. us yeah and yeah. thank you for having me on the show back in the day it was the i it was I think the only the second time I'd ever been on a podcast and I had no idea what to do and you were you're really great to talk to and I uh obviously we, we took it and ran yeah no <laughs> yeah, actually actually semi little known fact uh it was that interview that made me reach out to Rachel and say wow you are even more articulate than I would have. like I know I I interact with Rachel online I think you probably are articulate in life but turns out you're actually articulate in speech nah. too you speak uh, words yeah, good so, <laughs> I like words you, you were real good awesome uh, that's part of but how anyway, I ended up thank here. you yeah. no thank, thank, you, thank you guys for having me on this was, this was great and uh I've enjoyed listening to the podcast I'm, I'm glad to hear that uh uh this, this is flowered into something wonderful so <laughs>